welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Pragma. Pragma is a back-end game engine founded by the engineering leaders who built the platforms for some of the largest live service games, including League of Legends, Fortnite, Destiny 2, and Plants vs. Zombies 2. Pragma powers services like accounts, matchmaking, and player data for the world's most ambitious live service games. The Pragma backend game engine is the only solution that is truly extensible so that game designers aren't blocked by clumsy black box designs. With Pragma, studios no longer need to hire a large backend team and get the ultimate peace of mind that their game will always be ready to scale. To learn more, simply head to pragma.gg or check out the link in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Novic Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Takei, and this is the interview and insights segment. In the gaming world, the first thing folks think of when they hear the word betting is skills. And then they get really nervous and they shy back a bit, given the journey Skills has been on since its IPO. Skills, as most people in the audience probably know, was a tech hype, riches to underperformance sort of story. The app, for those who don't remember, enabled game developers to incorporate competitive gaming elements into their mobile games. This included stuff like leaderboards, multiplayer competitions, and other features that were meant to enhance player engagement and retention. And most importantly, it added a level of RMG, real money gaming, as we say in the biz, to your game. Skills' stock, which once peaked at an EPS of $8.75, today trades at around $9. And so I was thinking to myself, like, surely because of Skills' story, uh, player betting in games could not be a thing, or at least a profitable thing. And then I realized that I personally just didn't know a ton about the betting world and why, at its core, Skills wasn't performing well. And so I remember I had a friend building in the space, Zach Dixon, who is joining me on air today. Zach is the founder of Players Lounge, a Series A venture-backed company that is simply put, allowing players to bet on themselves. Um, I sold this on the website, did not make that up. Um, They have game integrations, mostly in sports games, aka Madden, NBA 2K, FIFA, etc., and allow players to host tournaments, head-to-head competitions, and streaming competitions. So welcome to the pod, Zach. Thank you so much for having me. First-time caller, very long-time listener. Okay. (laughs) Well, we're glad to have you on. This episode is actually inspired by a old Novic Pro article within our financial markets segment for skills that I recently reread because of a conversation I was having in a bar the other day down in Orange County on whether gamers want to actually bet on gaming outcomes. Um, I've been traveling a lot post-graduation, so like now this is what Friday nights basically look like. Um, Very sexy Friday nights. (laughs) But this person in the bar I was chatting with was pretty much like forcefully disagreeing with my supposition that betting couldn't be a profitable thing for games and adjacent services. When I say adjacent, I meant like under the assumption that AAA studios never open up their own betting rails. Um, And I kept thinking about it though. um, And actually even at Blizzard, we thought about small things that had to do with betting. Like what if we could bet on like the Brawl card and Hearthstone taking out everything except for like the 1-1 Dragon Whelp? Or like what if we could bet that this useless Genji would do under X percent damage in Overwatch? And so 
for me, I guess the question was still open in my mind based on this conversation I was having with this friend is to like whether or not the decline of skills specifically is something to do with the platform or the innate lack of demand for gamers um, or a business model that hasn't been quite figured out. So you're here to help me out. Um, and here. we're here to talk about it on air. Um, so I gave you a uh, player's lounge, a bit of an overview, but would love to hear about your background um, as a founder, what got you into the space, and sort of what's new for the company these days. Sure. So my name is Zach Dixon. I'm co-founder and COO at Players Lounge. And I uh, started the company with my buddy, Austin Woolridge. We were teammates at Wesleyan. And back in 2009, we saw a website where you could play FIFA online and bet on it. And we'd been playing our teammates for like you know $20 a game and FIFA in person. And we were like, I wonder why this isn't, you know, a bigger business. And we looked into it and uh, we wanted to do it sophomore year of college, but we were just too busy playing soccer and partying. And uh, the productive stuff, the productive stuff that you do, <laughs> you think is productive as a 20 year old and then you regret as a 30 year old. Uh, so we, we, we went our separate ways after college, worked a few jobs and both decided that working for other people wasn't for us long term. And we uh, bumped into each other at the gym and uh, decided to rekindle the flame and pursue a business where you could play video games at bars and play in FIFA tournaments. So we did that at the beginning of 2015, um, got uh, uh, AB InBev and EA as sponsors. And then um, I I met Strauss, the CEO of Take-Two, and he uh, invested at the beginning of 2016. And we used that funding to launch playersonage.co, where you could play FIFA and bet on it 24 7, 365. And we bootstrapped that for a couple of years, got into Y Combinator, raised money from the co founders of Twitch, Griffin Gaming Partners, Comcast, many more I'll talk about later. And so now we have two products, and we've done $200 million in bets from a million players all time. And uh, our newest product is growing really fast. And uh, we're going to be raising a bridge round that we thought would take a long time, but it might already be closed. So I'm happy to share more about that later. Well, amazing. It sounds like there's like a ton of founder market fit there. I love the gym and soccer. They play soccer. Now the first game you're betting on is doing FIFA stuff. Um, Or sorry, the first uh, game, I guess, Players Lounge supported rather was FIFA. Um, And, you know, you're combining the best of both worlds. You're taking what you did when you were 20 and you're now allowing people to do it in bars. Um, So Yeah, I mean, it's complete founder market fit, right? Like we like playing games. We like betting against each other. And we figure there are millions of Americans and people globally who want to do this thing. So we pursued it. Got it. Got it. And I guess maybe that's a great place to start. You know, you talked about, I was, you know, you already answered one of my first questions, which was, you know, what games you guys start with? And it sounds like you started with FIFA. Um, And so I'm wondering, this might be an obvious question. And if you, and if it is just say so, but you know, why a sports game first for the betting world? Um, And I'm hunting in the case that there's actually some nuance that I haven't thought about. That's not immediately obvious such that we bet on sports in real life. Why would we not bet on esports that are sports oriented? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the easiest answer is we wanted to start with a single game that we played ourselves and build a product that we wanted to use ourselves. And so at that time, we were huge FIFA players. And we knew there were a lot of people around the country that wanted to play FIFA and bet on it. And so we figured we could launch this website with, you know, 60 grand was our first angel check. And uh, we scaled, we bootstrapped that for like two years. And um, 
trying to scale a head-to-head platform with no marketing resources was grueling. Uh, <laughs> it was really hard. Uh, it, the, the head-to-head business is, is pretty difficult to scale. Um, but we've done it better than anybody else. As I mentioned, we've, we were about to pass $200 million in bets total on that. And that product is predominantly Madden, NBA 2K, and FIFA. Mm-hmm. So your question about why sports games is that was the experience that we had in person, right? Is you're playing with your buddies and somebody wants to bet $10 on the game to make it more fun and make sure everybody's trying their hardest, right? The bet is in itself really just like a social contract that you know both people are going to try their hardest. So at the end Mm. of the game, somebody doesn't make some whimpering excuse about why they lost, right? (laughs) When money's on the line, people try their hardest. It's always a bad team. It's always a bad team. (laughs) It's it's the ref. It's unlucky. So uh, yeah, the sports games was just 1v1 from a game design perspective. It's really obvious what you're betting on, and you're betting on yourself to score more points than the opponent whether that's in simulation football, simulation soccer, or simulation basketball. It's like a super clear and obvious betting model. Okay, I see. And then you keep using this word head-to-head. Um, I would One would intuit it means one person betting against one other person. Just wanted to clarify what head-to-head actually in your space means. For sure. Uh, so head-to-head is exactly what you said. It's player versus player. And in sports games, that's 1v1. There are other game modes in like 2K that are 5v5, et cetera, or 2v2 and FIFA. But 1v1 uh, is the easiest to match to match make for, frankly. I see. Right? So that's another reason sure. that sports games are so interesting because you don't have to fill up a team. It's just Alex is a, you know, a good FIFA player and she wants to play somebody right now for $5 on PS5. We have a matchmaking service and a skill rating system where we can do that pretty well. Okay. So in general, though, the bets that players lounge at least in the in the beginning of your company's days were betting on were wins and losses essentially yeah not, just strictly not necessary yeah. specific outcomes in the game right so so what you, the specific outcomes might be referred to as more like prop bets right the okay. the genji reference that you made that's like an obscure market you know that is like really difficult to to fill out. So our head-to-head product, it's called Players on Sports. You can download it on the iOS store. Uh, that's done $200 million in bets of just matching up one player against another player. Both players are betting, I will win this match. And we take a 10% service fee of however much they bet. I see. Got it. Okay, cool. Interesting. Well, good thing I didn't do that because I guess it's niche and <laughs> um, the prop bets so it's an obscure space that nobody wants to nobody wants to do. Yeah. Um, I guess in the, in a way, the way that we were thinking about that, and maybe this is something interesting to talk about, is right now you're talking about this head to head betting com- dynamic, which means the two players that are playing the game are betting on themselves. The way that we were thinking about those prop bets occurring were a little bit more for the audience for somebody who's watching other people do the head-to-head competition. So like, for example, if I were watching a, um, I don't know, the LCS, and I would bet that T1 would die, this would be his KDA ratio or something like that. Um, And so how does Players Lounge think about those prop bets versus the head-to-head bets? Is that like a horizontal business expansion? Or I guess maybe I'll just stop. No, it's it's completely (laughs) fine. This is where like a good legal distinction is important is if Alex is not playing in the match, if her skill, 
her inputs don't affect the outcome of the match, that's gambling. So Alex versus Zach in a $10 game of FIFA is a skill game. Thousands of inputs over the course of 20 minutes to determine who's going to win the result, right? Alex betting on the LCS where she's not playing and presumably that's gambling. So we don't offer that service maybe in the future at some point, but like we're a skill game operator and we're more focused on you betting on yourself, whether it's in a head-to-head match or in our new product where you can bet on how many kills you'll get in a game of Apex or Valorant. Got it. Okay, that's actually really interesting. I didn't. Yeah. I guess I didn't. It's a nuance that I didn't necessarily appreciate. Um, yeah, it's the difference between like daily fantasy sports and sports betting, right? Daily I fantasy see. sports is mathematically a game of skill, whereas sports gambling is legally defined as gambling. Got it. Okay, I see. Yeah, maybe we'll touch upon like the player betting and gambling at at large um, a bit later, but want to continue on the path of talking about players lounge and your products and you're talking about how head-to-head platforms are really really hard to grow how do you guys think about product growth does that come from more from more business partners from more games or more players such that the game the betting in the game is more robust fair question so players on sports as i mentioned we're focused on madden nba 2k and fifa that business is primarily 1v1 you know, head-to-head player matchmaking. They're betting on who's going to win this game between the two of them. We rebranded the company so that our new product, Players Lounge, that's where Alex is betting on how many kills she'll get in a game of Apex. Mm -hmm. So in terms of product growth, sorry, my cat's getting in the way. In terms of product (laughs) growth there, we're, you know, the sports product, Players Lounge Sports, is primarily 1v1 games, premium games like Madden and 2K. So, you know, maybe 20 million units per year in the US globally. Whereas Players Lounge is looking at the really big AAA free-to-play games that are massively popular globally. So our new product has, you know, uh, MAUs in the like 500 million range, whereas the sports product might have MAUs in like the 50 million range. Mm. Okay, got it. So you started with sports, but now you're shifting more into the PvP competitive realm of just PC hardcore like console games. Sure. So the our new our newer product that's called Players Lounge, it's available on the iOS store in the US. That is Alex is a one kill a game Apex player. And so Alex can bet on am I going to get one kill this next game, mm-hmm. two kills, three kills, five kills, etc. Mm-hmm. And that product more resembles a sports book and where Alex is betting against the house. So she might, you know, risk $5 to win $5 if she gets that one kill. Mm-hmm. Or she might risk $5 to win $20 if she gets four kills, right? But you are betting on yourself and how that match will be determined. So that's why it's still a game of skill. Okay. And this is the distinction between the, um, and forgive my like naivete around some of like the jargon in terms of like head to head and whatever. There's also this other no, one. Peer, it's, peer to, there's peer some to nuances peer. to it. Yeah, peer to peer, head to head, player versus player, whatever you want to yeah. call it. Um, so but in the terms of betting against the house, right, you're not necessarily betting, like you said before, in NBA 2K, you have one player A, player B, that's peer-to-peer, that's head-to-head. I bet that I will beat you. Um, yep. 
in this type of betting dynamic, you're betting against the house that I, XYZ person, would perform to these certain caliber points. Like, I got five kills, whatever. Yeah, you're betting against against your own skill level, basically. Got it. And is there any specific, when you think about the next games to grow into in that regard, you know, what are the kinds of criteria that these games need to have ostensibly besides just being PvP, like, online games? Like, why, why Apex and why Valorant? first sure why not league completely fair question right and part of it goes back to why we started with just fifa right we played a lot of fifa we understood the game deeply and we liked betting on it ourselves and so we launched this product with call of duty the next game we put on was apex Mm -hmm. then we added valorant because it was really clear to players in a battle royale game of why I'm going to bet on how many kills I'll get and what place I will finish at the end of the game, right? So those are the two bets that you could take. And so that doesn't really need any explanation to the average gamer. Whereas trying to get a lot of people to take the Genji bet of how many, you know, what percent damage Genji will get this game, that's like a pretty deep and nuanced bet that first of all is gambling in the first place, so we don't do it. But it's just... Alex knows she finishes top five, top 10 in Apex this frequently, so she can take that bet. She knows she gets one kill a game in Apex, so maybe she's going to roll the dice and try to get three kills this game, but for a bigger payout. Got it. Okay. So it's really the level of complexity for the game that's like, you know, in Battle Royale might be a little bit more obvious. Um, yeah. In FIFA, it's a little bit more you know, it's clear. Oh, I either I win or I don't win. But for some of the more complicated, maybe MOBAs and maybe even like team-based shooters, right? So um, it's the kinds of bets, those prop bets that I was talking about. I'm that's intuitive to me because I play some of those games, and it's right. but it's not really as mass market. Um, and maybe that's we a tried. Question. Oh, sorry, go, we, go. Sorry to cut you off. We try to work like really <laughs> heavily with the mom test, right? So like, if you had to explain to your mom what the product is, if you don't think you can communicate that in a sentence and yeah. have her understand it. As a non-gamer, I'm, I'm assuming heavily here that your mom doesn't play team-based shooters or MOBAs. She does not. Uh, she tried she to play not. Detroit Becoming <laughs> Human, and apparently the game was, quote, too fast for her. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever played Detroit Becoming Human, but it's literally like, decide, save the man or don't save the man. Here's like <laughs> literally 45 seconds to hit the square button. And mom's like, I don't know what square button is. I'm like, yeah. Okay. Like, for sure. Like, for sure. So if, if we can't explain to your mom in a sentence and have her understand that you need to get this many kills in this next game to win the challenge, it might be too complex, right? Mm-hmm. So battle royales are the easiest to understand. Team-based shooters, we think, are next easiest to understand. Mm-hmm. MOBAs are uh, more complicated, but still relatively easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's the kind of like the order of operations. So we look at how many players play the game in the U.S. How clear is it when we first think about about the game of what you would bet on and if people would like to bet on it? Mm-hmm. And you know, global audience is a is a second thought because we'll expand globally in the near future. So those are the considerations. I see. And then I guess what percentage? Since you're saying that my that the prop betting thing that I was talking about earlier is more of a audience as a um as a uh, taking bets on something else, which would be gambling. So right. your market for peer-to-peer or head-to-head betting is actually a subset of the people that play the game themselves. Um, yes. And so what, on average, do you think 
what on average like conversion rates to betting do you guys typically see in games? Like how many people that play FIFA typically also have interest in betting on themselves? I would assume that they have to be of like a fairly like high skill caliber. You would think that, but I mean, um, we have a skill a skill rating system on our head to head product that's mm-hmm. pretty robust, and um, it's difficult to understand how good a player is in five or ten games. You know, this is a, a problem that all AAA titles deal with. And they have way more data, right? Hundreds of games before they can accurately understand somebody's somebody's handicap. Um, but we match players up who are. I'm not very good at FIFA, right? At my best, I might have been like a B, maybe a B plus player. And so I don't want to play against the top players in the world. I want to play against people who are my level. I want to throw down five or ten bucks and get a rush playing the game that I love playing so much. And so that's like the core demo that we're targeting which is for certain millions of Americans and tens of millions of players globally. Okay, got it. So it doesn't, it's, it's just the, for the general, your average everyday Joe Schmo who wants to bet on themselves. And this typically yeah. happens to be like, when you do the math, like, uh, you know, maybe some sort of like portion 20, 10, 20% maybe of the current player base that's playing FIFA or those games in general. Yeah, reasonable. Got it. Interesting. And so I want to, ask a little bit about maybe some of the operational challenges of building in this space. You know, we've talked a lot about, okay, yeah, like you're betting that I would get five kills and I'm betting that I would win this game. But that game log of data is stored on probably the server side of the games themselves. So I might report to Players Lounge that I got five kills, and so I did what I said I was going to do, so therefore I win my bet against the house. How do you guys verify the outcomes that the players did what they said they were going to do? Great question. So on Players Lounge Sports, the head-to-head model, both players report the score. Okay. So there's a two-sided reporting system, and in 99% of the games, Zach plays Alex, Alex beats Zach, Alex says, I won 3-2. Zach confirms, yes, I lost 2-3. And Alex wins the money. In 1% of those games, Zach complains, oh, I had lag. Alex disconnected. <laughs> Zach won. You know? And so we innovated on the score reporting system in a big way. That was why we bootstrapped for two years, uh, so that we could get that dispute rate, is what it's called, when, when one of the players disagrees with the result down to a very limited number. And operational challenges, you need customer support admins, referees basically, to come in and resolve this dispute between Alex and Zach. Sure. Alex won 3-2. Zach says he won 2-3. Both players need to submit some type of evidence of, of the result of the game. And there's some petty squabbling between the players. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, you know, there, there's a, a customer support and live support element to the game that's more complex than people think. When we launched the business at tw- in 2016, we had no idea it was going to be that big of a pain in the ass. Yeah. When, sure. when it was just me, Austin, and our co-founder, Dan, I handled every customer support ticket. So I would like be on a date and the woman would like go to the bathroom for a second and I would be like furiously handling intercom tickets <laughs> while she was gone, like trying to settle a dispute between two 20 year olds across the country, <laughs> squabbling over like Alex was using this cheesy meta, what the hell, you know? Oh. <laughs> and then she would come back to the table and I'd like slam down some responses and like put my phone away, you know? So it. it's definitely more complex on the head to head business to resolve those types of things and people appreciate. 
you also have a you know a player liquidity issue, which is mm-hmm. a function of how good your marketing is and how many marketing dollars you have. Um, so filling out a real-time marketplace of players of a variety of skill levels on a variety of platforms looking to play at different hours of the day uh, for different uh, betting denominations is like that's a bunch of different cross-segmentations of a marketplace. Mm-hmm. So dozens of competitors have popped up over the last couple of years and tried to do this without appreciating how difficult it is to support that real-time marketplace. And there's a reason that we're several X bigger than the next biggest competitor because we're smart, college-educated people. We're big gamers, you know, and we've sunk a lot of time and a lot of investor money into building the best product out there. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like makes a lot of sense because even from the game studio side where we're thinking about player liquidity in terms of matchmaking. And then for you guys, let's just say that there's a Venn diagram of players, right? You're a subset inside that players that's you've already just made your market and your matchmaking liquidity pool even smaller for um, sure simply because of like the appetite for the head-to-head um betting but yeah i think it's really interesting to hear some of the stories that you had originally building the company um for verifying those outcomes you know i've definitely played a game um called the on the dueling network which is just a which was a Yu-Gi-Oh open free format no game logic embedded in the actual um in the web browser at all. So basically, every if I attacked you and I said, hey, I just took out 2,000 of your life points, you would have to deduct from your side of the table 2,000 life points. Oh, that's a, not, that's, a, that's a digital board game experience. Oh my it's gosh, a nightmare. You, yeah, honestly, yeah. I have such fond memories fighting in this like janky chat box with people. Maybe over with the somewhat rosy colored glasses looking back on it. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and in a way, like that is okay for that sort of situation because you're playing a card game, but there's no money at stake, right? And so right. I think it obviously becomes, you know, c- completely maximized or like exacerbated such that you have money on the table. Yeah. Um, and so this leads me to sort of like my next question is like who controls the fulfillment slash like cash transfer of the payment? Um, players you know, lounge. Players lounge. Okay. Yeah. So so the way so the way it works is Alex is a new user. She goes through KYC, know your customer verification to make sure she's eight. To be clear, I should have said this earlier. You have to be 18 plus and in an eligible state to use any of our products. We do. Oh, okay. we, yeah. So you have to show us, you know, your government ID. You have to verify a bunch of different things to make sure that you're in. Uh, we have to geo, you know, geofence you and make sure you're in, in a verified state. Um, and uh, after that, then you can start playing for real money, right? Um, so a lot of products out there operate in, you know, somewhat looser, uh, I'll say operational zones of doing this type of thing. Mm. And what that endangers is one, there are very severe penalties for breaking these types of laws. Austin and I have no interest in facing those kind of consequences. They're, they're serious. Um, and secondly, it, it jeopardizes your relationship with the payment processors, which is another huge part of the operational hurdle to run any real money gaming business. Mm-hmm. So Alex comes on, she goes through KYC, she deposits $10, then she plays. So there's just like a bunch of hurdles that people don't appreciate of how you have to verify Alex's ID, geofencer, accept her money. Etc. It seems like a much easier business to scale than people might appreciate. Sure, sure. Yeah, even just like the hurdles, I remember from some of the Web3 research 
that I was doing for like an episode on the legal ramifications of Web3 that for the, and Web3 is obviously it's an entire other can of worms, but sure. um, you know, for securitization and for KYC and AML, actually those rules were different state by state by state. And so yeah. it was just, it com- like, I was like, I don't know. Like there's just too many states <laughs> and there's yeah. too, uh, too many people. So um, just, it's obviously like quite, quite difficult, but basically you guys to the through the payment providers, I as a as a player would deposit funds into my player's lounge account and then yep. that would get withdrawn and transfer from my account to another player's lounge account, right? right? And those accounts are ostensibly linked to some sort of bank provider or PayPal or something like that. Yeah. Similar. Okay. I mean, think about how like Venmo works, right? You put money in, it sits in your account. But when you send money from, you know, Alex to your friend, mm-hmm. it's not that money's moving from your Chase account to their Chase account. It's that you've put money into Venmo. Venmo's holding that money in escrow. Then they're moving numbers around on the back end. And when your friend goes to withdraw, then there's a, a realization of those funds, right? Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's like kind of similar to, yeah, that, that's the simple way to explain it. Yeah, yeah, got it. And then for you guys, in terms of the, the business models, a couple, you know, earlier you mentioned that you guys take a 10% take rate on those bets. So if I bet $10, right, you guys would take $1 and then the nine would go into escrow and then they would get transferred to the other player if they were to win or lose, right? Yeah. And that it's actually like players have a hard time understanding the 10%. Some okay. players think it's 20% and it like literally comes down to a misunderstanding of the distributive property of multiplication over addition. So like (laughs) Alex bets five, Zach bets five. Players think that 10% of that, let's say Alex bets $10 and Zach bets $10. Players think that we're taking 20% when when we take $2 from $10 because they're adding 10% and 10% and thinking that that's 20%. Oh. And so we've like, I've like literally tried to explain <laughs> this to like, I've made like YouTube videos explaining why that is that $18 <laughs> from $20 is 10% and not 20%. And it's like, it's surprisingly difficult to explain to people. Uh, you can make them all take the GMAT. Um, yeah. And, oh, God. Yeah. We're, we're talking like PSAT type stuff, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. I got it. But okay. But you, so, so you take the you take the 10% of the pool, of the pool. 10% of the pool. Exactly. Of the, of the yep. two players. Okay. I see. Yeah. And I guess like that's, um, obviously that's a pretty typical model, I would probably say, um, for, 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 for betting. Were mm-hmm. there any other models that you guys explored or, you know, why is this the good, the, the correct fit like for you guys? And, you know, why 10% if that's even a reasonable question to ask? No, it's a fair question. It was a nice, easy number to understand. It was simple math that people could understand. And it's like a pretty reasonable service fee. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the head-to-head business, right? That's players on sports. That's the one that's done 200 million in bets over the last couple of years. Our new product, which is the focus of the company, which is Players Lounge, is that's where you bet against the house. So that's a very different business model because Alex is betting $5 that she'll get two kills or more, right? If she loses that bet, she loses all $5. If she wins that bet, depending on what the odds are for your skill level, that might have been bet five to win 15. So that business can actually lose money, right? In the same way that like a sports book can lose money. 
Whereas like our head-to-head business, which is more like a poker room model, is just get butts in seats, keep them playing, and you take 10% of every dollar that comes through it. So it's a more sure and certain 10% fee, but it's Mm. more difficult to match make and to provide the live services. Whereas the Bet Against the House product, our newer product, has way better underlying metrics because all I need to do is to get Alex into the system through KYC, understand our product, and then she plays whenever she wants. There's no matchmaking. There's no you know disputes on what happened in the game. It's you play the game and your bet resolves or not, and then you go play the next game right away. There's no waiting for the next player who's at your skill level, at your time, at your right. denomination on your game title, right? So it's just like right. a much more efficient uh, match-to-match betting process. Mm, okay, got it. Okay, so in the two, in the two, in the two products, right? You've got one that has, has probably like lower DAU, right? Mm-hmm. With a but a consistently and solidly high ARP DAO because yeah. you're consistently taking ten percent of every all the cash that passes that system. And then on the flip side, you have probably something like the players lounge which is running something on apex or valorant right where people are making bets against the house um the DAOs are higher because people can do that whenever they want there's no player there's no matchmaking at all but some of those players are literally negative ltv for you guys because they are just extracting out of the house because they're too good to always win um basically right yeah no that's Um, fair and like when when you go to a casino there's a reason that the poker room uh, like you know occupies three to five percent of the square footage and the slots and table games occupy the rest, right? Mm. The poker rooms are not full up butts in seats because it's a different player experience than a lot of people want. A lot of people, when they go to a casino, they want to play with their friends. They want to win and lose together with the other players at the table. They don't want to play against other players because it's mm-hmm. a different confrontational experience, right? And so a couple of years ago, Steve Wynn actually cold called me and I didn't know who he was. And oh. If you don't know who he is, he's like the fi- most famous. Yeah, he's a hotelier. <laughs> he's a casino magnate. He's a billionaire, right? And I picked up the phone and I called him and I ended up having lunch with him. Um, and he was like, you seem like a bright dude. I like you. How can I help you? And I was like, oh, we've got this head-to-head product. You know, It's growing really fast. We just went through Y Combinator, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, that's a cool business. But I'm telling you, I've run casinos since before you were born, and poker rooms are really tough businesses to scale. You should really be thinking about what is the rest of your experience that you can build out. And I was like, oh, well, we're going to make it work. And I wish I'd listened to the billionaire years ago and started working on this you know, bet against the house product sooner. But you have to take your lessons as you do. So I see. Okay, so you built this whole business that has, um, you know, the billionaire suggested that you do house betting. Um, and we just talked about how for some of those players, you know, they might be really good. So they're actually value extracted from the system. Um, for you guys, how do you balance that system on your end to make sure that for Players Lounge, I assume that you're, you're the house in this case, um, yep. that you aren't, you know, constantly like this isn't kind of like a, a bleeding money situation. Uh, how do you make sure that, well, actually in a way that you're, players lose um (laughs) no i mean it it's a fair question and um it's a difficult one right it's one it's the reason that you know people have struggled to scale this space and we're doing the best of anyone has ever done at it but um players come in and we know their skill level and if alex bets 
you know, I'm a one kill a game player and I'm going to get three kills this next game. We know the mathematical likelihood of that happening. She okay. does it once. Okay. Maybe that's like a one in three thing type happening, right? She does it a second time in a row. Not great odds of that happening. She does it a third and fourth time in a row. Something looks suspicious here, right? Maybe Alex is playing on a Smurf account. Maybe Alex has her friend playing for her. So the lines change over time because we're trying to predict what your actual skill level is when you're playing for money. There's definitely a difference in your play when you're playing for funsies and just dropping hot and getting slaughtered versus, oh man, I've got five bucks on this. I got to get top three and I got to get three kills. You're going to play the game very differently in the same way that you play differently when you play pickup sports versus tournament play, right? And so it's just a kind of a, a different balance. So we look at every bet we offer to players. We look at how well they do. And we're aspiring on any given day to be somewhere in the like 5 to 15% hold. So for every $0.05 cents that Alex bets, we hope that five of it stays with us. Okay. Got so it. there are some players who come in, they win a couple hundred bucks in a day. Their, their lines are going to get harder because that's what they're telling mm. our skill system is that we're actually under handicapping them. So their lines get harder, their payouts get a little harder. Whereas Zach, not very good, he comes in and loses money. So we make his challenges easier and we make his payouts bigger because we don't want players to be too outside of that range. The goal is to keep players butts in seats for as long as possible, having the most fun as they can. And for us, what we see as optimal retention is players win some money and lose some money, but it doesn't go too heavily in one direction. You want to keep players in like the flow state of somewhere between anxiety and exhilaration. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you you're but you're actively tuning that system, right? So oh, like for sure. Time. Every yeah. day. Yeah. And, Hours and I, per day. And my personal work, we've got a crack data scientist working on it. <laughs> and like that's, you know, you don't want to cheap out on the math in a sports book, for sure. Sure. Um yeah. and so I would suppose though that like you were saying before, that probably players would get smart. They'll make smurf accounts, they'll like do all the things to trick your system into making them think that they're not who they say they are. Um, yeah. and that actually probably seems like a total pain in the ass. <laughs> to get. You know, it's an exciting math and uh, social psychology problem to solve. And each person sure. that beats yeah. us for a couple hundred bucks, we yeah. take our lick, yeah. we learn a lesson, we patch a hole in the system, and then we move on. But there's okay. a whack-a-mole element to it. Yeah. Nice. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so, you know, we've talked a little bit about Players Lounge and your pro your two products, the head-to-head -head platform and the betting against the house. We've talked about play um, betting player money. So one of the things that um, I'm just interested in hearing your take on, and maybe we can talk about this in a more like hypothetical, ideal sure. sort of world, this thing that the person and I in the bar were arguing about were... You know, like right now, obviously the closest things that we have to the, that kind of betting stuff was like sports betting IRL. And that's something sure. that we've just talked about. It's, you know, a, you need to be a verified operator of sports betting. Um, yep. you know, I go to the Kentucky Derby and I bet on secretariat. Um, but in order to do this, like there's tons of restrictions, hoops to jump through, licensing, regulation, age restrictions, yep. and response on gambling measures, deposit limits, AML, KYC, and a bunch of other stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that this person and I were talking about were the instead of betting money on an outcome, why would you not bet in-game items, currencies, or skills, or like skins? 
So for example, what we would do would we would, I would say, Hey, I bet on the house. Not that I would bend $5, but that I bet my ultimate skin or I bet some sort of like currency, um, platinum and Diablo four or something like sure. that against an outcome. How would that change any of the gambling perceptions? Um, in terms of maybe the regulatory space, I, I, get, I mean, I just don't even, I just don't even know, right? Sure, I am by no means a legal expert. We've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years on really good legal experts to do this work for us, and my very rough understanding of it is every state defines uh, a game of skill versus a game of chance differently. Mm-hmm. Some states define that as if Alex is risking something that has real world value, that's gambling. And those are states where we don't operate, right? So if you could, if your, you know, Genji skin has real world value in mm-hmm. that state, according to that state's laws, then you betting that might constitute gambling. How much skill of your, how much of Alex's skill in the competition determines the results? of the competition. That's another factor in the legal equation, right? So all of these things kind of combine state to state to allow some players in some states to play and others to not, right? But it gets a little like, you know, CSGO, lounge, skins gambling. There's yeah, been tough. like a bunch of sticky and nefarious things, very loosely regulated. A lot of them are just like outright get, like operating illegal gambling organizations. Right. And so that's like a really, it's not even gray. It's just like a black market that we're like never going to operate in because, like, you know, we've got money from like Y Combinator and some very successful folks. And like, we're not going to, we're not going to jeopardize ourselves or any investor money by doing something like that. It's a very common question of like, why can't I just bet this thing? You know, Um, and in Web3, there's a lot of questions around like, is this actually a security or is it not? Is this actually a game of skill or is it not? Are yeah. you risking something of real world value or not? You know, yeah. there's a lot of questions about the whole thing and it's just very loosely regulated. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even you can look at that happening in AAA with FIFA with the regulations that happen in Belgium on the loot box system, right? Because yeah. you're right, FIFA is a game of skill. And well, I have particular opinions on on loot boxes and their relationship to the game, whatever. But in a way, and I think any kind of loot box or card pack system is very similar, right? Um, There is not, I call it not pay to win, but I call it pay to compete, right? Where you might need specific cards or you might need specific players to do well. But however, it does not take away from the fact that you still fundamentally have to perform, right? Um, and, and, And beat people in the game, right? So I think it's a really interesting like fine line, like you're saying, where there's a ton of grayness around like what betting and what gambling means. And, um, and there's a reason that FIFA does not let you do the thing that you're talking about, right? You cannot like play for pink slips mm. and risk your Ronaldo card versus their Messi card. That would be like start to get into murkier waters for okay. EA. You know, like Got it. there's a reason AAA companies do not do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's because if they were to do that, that would be defined as gambling. I, I can't say that, you know, but like it, it just becomes more difficult to pr- like uh, offer that service. And yeah. so it's like the risk reward profile there just doesn't seem to be worth it for these AAA publishers. Oh, 
Fascinating. Yeah, because yeah, it sounds like, I, I mean, we've been, the whole, like, a, a lot of the premise of sort of like the work that's being done is like, bet on yourself, this way it's not gambling. Why is it so important to avoid being classified as a gambling thing? Um, is it just because the legal repercussions are really high? Because there are true casinos, like you said, that are defined sure. as gambling. So like, why, why is everybody in the gaming industry working so hard to not be, a, to not be defined as gambling? Well, one, like the penalties are so severe, like okay. in Louisiana, where I'm from, if you operate in a legal gambling organization, you could literally do years, plural of hard time. It's okay. very rough prisons. And like, maybe you're listening to the podcast, but I'm not a huge guy. I'm like 5'9", 170. I would not do well in a very hard prison in Louisiana. <laughs> so like, I have no interest in touching that with a hundred foot pole, you know? So that that's one reason. Uh, the other is, um, you know, gambling organizations, uh, firms, they pay a lot of money per year to state regulatory bodies to be able to offer those services in a regulated format. And so there's like some, you know, uh, not cartel, but it's like an oligopoly type thing of like, there's only so many licenses per state. There's only so many operators per state. Um, so you just really don't want to run afoul of those yeah. types of things. Okay. Got it. So basically to be a gambling house, you'd have to do a ton of work to do it the right way. And yeah. the penalties and the repercussions for doing it the wrong way are massive and titanic. So absolutely massive. Unless yeah. you're like, I absolutely know that at the end of the day, like my returns from this venture of gambling are going to be positively accreditive to muff, and I have enough upfront cash reserves to pay regulatory licenses. I have the connections to get these things done in mm -hmm. this specific state it's basically like not necessarily worth it. And so for maybe a casino house that's located in Las Vegas specifically, they're dealing with Las Vegas, the state. I mean, sorry, they're dealing with Nevada, the state, Las Vegas, mm -hmm. the county. It's just like one-to-one -one relationship versus a game has a broad, gigantic global audience. Doing a, Setting up a gambling mechanic for something in 50 states and even other continents would just be too onerous in a way. Yeah. I, I think the average person who doesn't work in like real money gaming, it's really difficult to appreciate the operational hurdles yeah. to offer any real money gaming, whether it's game of skill or game of chance, right? But in the US, for instance, you might have a small state like uh, you know New Jersey, mm -hmm. and you might be paying millions of dollars per year as a single operator to the state of New Jersey for the license to offer sports gambling. Mm -hmm. then. In sports gambling, for some legally, uh, you know, idiosyncratic rules, you have to have servers, hardware in the state of New Jersey, and so you need hundreds of thousands of dollars in expenses there. So there are like live ops costs, to put it in gaming terms, or live services costs sure. that people really do not appreciate. So the cost to just offer the service of sports gambling in New Jersey is to the tune of millions of dollars per year in expenses. And that's mm -hmm. before any of your marketing. And that's before how does the thing actually perform in terms of what percent of every dollar do you really keep, right? Okay. So sports gambling is a very expensive enterprise to enter. I see. 
okay, wow, I'm learning a lot. Yeah, I think, right. I think that, that's the point. I think I'm trying to appreciate the operational nuance because I think I've been asking myself this question. I'm like, everybody's just trying to avoid gambling. Is it really so bad? Like, yeah. <laughs> and oh, no, it sounds you, like it's a shit show to set up. Yeah, um, and there, there's a reason these <laughs> rules are set up as they are, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, for the safety of, sure. uh, you know, the citizens, et cetera. So, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Which makes a ton of sense. I just, yeah. I think I also myself did not necessarily appreciate the nuance of how operationally difficult it is to establish some of these licenses or you know, rules, even, even if it's not in, um, even if it's not gambling, even it seems in your space in the head to head betting, there's still a subs- substantial number of, um, operational hurdles yeah. that you guys kind of need For to, sure. to jump through. Um, and so to start, uh, you know, wrapping up, you know, we kicked off this podcast, you know, uh, talking about skills, right. And mm-hmm. I, maybe I want to end on a better note than how we began, maybe due to the unfortunate decline of skills of stock price. And I'd love to get your take sort of, why do you think skills, what happened to skills happened to skills. Um, and like, if you were there at that company, what are the, some of the things that you would have maybe done differently? Sure. So first and foremost, I've met Andrew a bunch of times. He's a brilliant dude, big gamer, very, very bright. He, Andrew Paradis is the CEO of skills. Mm-hmm. Um, they're massively successful. One of the first publicly traded esports companies, but the public markets have not been kind to a lot of companies, but in particular, esports companies. And I think part of that is because um, Skills was operating in two different verticals, as I understand it. They were offering the B2B side of the business, where they were putting their software into games and offering real money components. And then they had a few games themselves. And the games they offer are like Solitaire, Spades, Blackjack, like th- these are games. They're not sports, right? Mm-hmm. I would say FIFA is much closer to a sport, an esport, than solitaire or spades or blackjack, mm-hmm. right? There's a difference between, in my mind between sports and games. And so when you look at FaZe Clan, Super League Gaming, Esports Entertainment Group, you know, Skills, these are all like quote unquote esports companies. But like they're actually operating in like a different vertical. It's just that the quote unquote esports name was very interesting to pursue on the public markets in the last few years. It was like the meta, right? Sure. One of the problems with their business, what I might have done differently, is I don't really believe in skill games. I don't know if I believe that there are millions of players out there who want to bet against another person and how well they'll do in solitaire or spades or blackjack. Okay. What I know with certainty is, is that there are millions of people out there who want to play FIFA every day, and they want to play it competitively every day. And another version of that is they want to bet on the result. And so they're kind of offering like casual or even hyper-casual esports, if you can even call them esports, versus we're offering you a simulation of a tournament experience in FIFA or Madden or 2K or Apex or Valorant or League, whatever, right? So we're targeting AAA games, whereas they're targeting single A, double A games. Now, again, like I would, Andrew's an incredibly successful dude. Skills has broken ground in ways that I could only aspire to, but we're trying to build an, an entertainment experience for millions of gamers who want to play double A and triple A games. 
And so that's our focus. And I think that's like a super core differentiator between the two. Yeah. Okay. I see. And I get, and skills, I think was mostly mobile games in a, in a way, right? Almost. I, enti- I don't I think, think they ever offered anything outside of mobile games. Yeah. Okay. That's and I don't I know if you, I don't know if you could characterize any of the games they offer as even like core or mid core or hardcore. They're all like no, they're casual, like hyper casual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that was my question, right? I had like three suppositions. One, it has something to fundamentally do with the platform, right? So like my bets don't register. Um, the cash payment system doesn't work. When I deposit, nothing happens. Like um, it, there's something wrong with the app, um, mm-hmm. the product itself. And sure. then there was two kind of like the the business model isn't quite figured out, right? It's like a not in the similar way that esports is still struggling of how to turn itself into into a profitable enterprise. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's, Cogs and capex are just too high, yeah. Compared to its revenue, um, it was either that or it was maybe a lower lack of demand for that kind of actual activity, which it sounds like your supposition it is. So for skills, unlike FIFA or unlike maybe some of the PvP games that you guys have started to partner with, like Valorant, Apex, um, it's whatever. Uh, the demand for making those kinds of head-to-head bets was less present than. Like was was lower than I guess initially expected. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. And again, like I'm not throwing shade at skills. Like Andrew's done some incredible things to take an esports company public is wild, right? Like when you were 15, playing whatever you know game at 15. I was playing Halo 2 on Xbox when I was 15. Mm-hmm. If you were to tell me, you know, 20 years ago, 18 years ago, that now there would be people making millions of dollars a year as streamers or playing as, you know, playing professional video games, I would have been like, sign me up. I'm not going to college. That's what I'm doing. You know? Mm -hmm. So it's a very different and very cool world that we live in now. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. I think it's also just really cool, but it's interesting to sort of understand sort of like what, um, you know, what can we learn from a company like skills based on like, so, you know, so they've been around like for a while, like you said, um, they were the ones to do it first. And so sort of what are the things that, um, for the future of the head-to-head player betting market, you know, what is the way to grow and learn from the prior um, companies that pursued the same space? Yeah. Um, and so, damn, I don't know. Maybe now, maybe like I'm a believer, you know, I, I would... I would hope so. Our I, head-to-head would, business would, is very profitable. <laughs> I would bet that player betting is successful. Um, oh, I see what you did there. there. Okay, um, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, and so actually... Um, you know, before before we wrap, um, this has been such an awesome episode, Zach. And I, I personally have learned a ton. Uh, thank you for elucidating the differences between head-to-head on the house, um, what gambling is, and some of the state-to-state, state-by-state restrictions. Um, sure. I want to make a quick repeat announcement to our listeners. Um, many of you might have heard that our announcement heard this on our announcement in the roundtable segment, as well as in the weekly newsletter that we released the first week of July. But, you know, we've turned a new leaf here at Novic. We're excited to launch the uh, Open Gaming Research Initiative um, acronym OGRI. Um, It encompasses all the same free content as you've come to enjoy at Novic, like the Novic Digest and this podcast. And it will take our production to a new level. Our new research will include things like game team constructions, genre reports, market updates, deep dives into important gaming companies and trends, and new podcast episodes that explore the tactics behind winning game teams and more. Um, This initiative is made possible by our outstanding crew of creators. Woo! Um, as well as our 12 fantastic launch partners. Um, and so to, to learn more, to sign up, to receive the updates, um, visit novic.co slash OGRI.com. 
And so now that we're done with a plug for ourselves, um, you know, Zach, if there's anyone out there that wants to get in touch with you from the audience for any reason, um, how can they reach out? Slide in my LinkedIn DMs. Very active on LinkedIn. Uh, okay. that's, that's the best place to reach me. If you are a bright engineer who really likes video games, reach out to me. If you are an investor interested in the space or learning more about the company, reach out to me. Or if you're just you know, somebody who works at a studio and you're interested in exploring real money gaming, please reach out because we're always looking to work with uh, up and coming games. And you know, that's the best place to find me. Sweet. Okay. Um, and so on that note, we'll be concluding. Uh, big thank you, Zach, for coming. Uh, thank you to our listeners. I'll be back in two weeks. Um, and feel free to hit me up at alexandra at novic.co if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. We'd yeah, love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to congrat, congratulate Alex on finishing business school and entering the real world. Oh, so. thanks. Yeah, uh, we're out here. Um, and uh, the kicking off the kicking off the real gig quite soon. So Very excited for you. Yeah. All right. With that, uh, au revoir, and we're out. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.